Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 and 50, the Word of God says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness was in her daughters, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy, and they were haughty and committed abomination before me, therefore I took them away as I saw good. And let's pray. Lord, help us now as we find these five reasons that Sodom became such a, a desperate, desperate place, uh, and so much so that you had to destroy it, and help us to uh, insulate ourselves from these things that so readily can creep into our lives and, and our society, and left unchecked can cause uh, all kinds of damage. And so I pray that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to us tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And so I'm just going to jump right in. You don't have to have heard this morning's message to get something from tonight's message. Uh, but, of course, those messages are online for your instruction uh, later. But we see here the Bible says Ezekiel is speaking to these Jews who are in Babylonian captivity. Their spiritual state had gotten so bad that God said, in some ways you are worse than Samaria and Sodom. And our whole message this morning was talking about what that means. What was Samaria? What was Sodom? And how was that uh, used by God to kind of shake these people into understanding of how bad their own spiritual state was? We talked about the sins of Sodom and how God had to destroy it. But then here, in order to help the Israelites, He gives them God gives them five reasons why Sodom got so bad. And these five things were found in, the, in the, the Jewish culture, had crept in the Jewish culture in Babylonian captivity. And I think you'll find them today in our own society. Uh, and we talked about this morning. Uh, we, as, as Americans, are facing a declining culture. We're facing social unrest. Sadly, politicians are often more of a problem than the solution. The government educational system uh, has been infiltrated by people that are teaching things that just have never been accepted as true in the whole history of humanity. Uh, our individual lives are affected as God judges the sins of our nation. Think about this. What have you heard in the news lately? Droughts, fires, floods, earthquakes, hurricanes food shortages, wars. In any part in human history, people that know the Bible would have said all those things coming upon a nation would signify the judgment of God. And nowadays, regardless of what you hear, what you believe about climate change, almost every problem that mankind deals with now, the cause is climate change. And that keeps us from dealing with the deeper issues and our own spiritual condition and some of the underlying conditions that humanity is facing. We said this morning that uh, the world is not facing a political problem, it's facing a spiritual problem. And that means it doesn't have a political solution, it has a spiritual solution. And we are living in a day and age where people are figuring out, look, it doesn't take a, 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 an advanced degree to look at our world and say, something's going on. Something's happening. 
to feel, to sense that there's this battle between something called good and something called evil. We've even had atheists in the last several months come to church here or talk to me personally and say, listen, I don't even know if I believe in God, but clearly this thing called evil that I never really believed in is rearing its head and becoming more and more obvious and evident. We've had people turn from atheism to Christ. We've had people turn to, to uh, uh, false religions according to the scripture to Christ. We've had a lot of people who they don't really know what's going on, but they're starting to wake up and be like, something's changing. Something's going on. And they're turning to the Bible and to, the, to God, and hopefully they can find their way into good churches or work with somebody or have some, some communication with somebody who is a student of the Bible so they can help them with these things. But we need to be pointing people back to the God of heaven. Uh, our world is speeding towards destruction. And if you study the end times, you're going to realize that, that we are seeing signs of the times. Whether you believe it or not, we can take the Bible and point out a lot of things, and you, you can have the hair on the back of your neck stand up when you realize how things are falling into place according to what the Scripture said. And in Sunday school, in our 9 o'clock hour, the next a few weeks, we're going to be talking about things about the end times, and it'd be great for you to come and hear that so you see how uh, God said all those things were going to fall into place. But as we're speeding towards destruction, we need to turn around and get off of this road. So I want to preach a simple message this evening entitled, The Road to Sodom. How did Sodom become Sodom? What steps led to its debauchery and destruction? And the Bible tells us uh, five things. It lists five things that were the recipe that created this disaster. These five things are mile, marker, mile markers on the road to destruction, uh, and we need to get off the road to Sodom and get back on the road to righteousness. So we find here in verse 49 the list, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. And number one, we'll just jump in and give you the five. I'll show you some supporting verses for each one. Number one, pride. Pride. This was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride. The first mile marker on the road to Sodom is pride. Now what is pride? Pride is an overestimation of oneself. It's making yourself the issue. The Bible teaches us very clearly that pride was the first sin. And from the first sin, all other sins emanate. Pride is often called the mother sin. You can take everything that the Bible calls a sin and you can trace it back to its origin in pride. Theft has its origin in pride. Lying has its origin in pride. Sexual sin, its origin in pride. Murder, its origin in pride. Every sin, you can draw a line straight back to this thing called pride. This is why God hates pride more than anything else in the world. You say, well, I thought he would hate this or that. No, the number one list on things of God hates is pride. We're going to use our Bibles tonight. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 6. Hold your place here, and we'll come back. But Proverbs chapter 6, I want to show you uh, supporting verses tonight. Proverbs chapter 6. 
In Proverbs chapter 6, we find a list of things God hates. Well, boy, if you want to know what God thinks, it might be a good idea for you to learn this list. And the things that you hate or the things you think God might hate are probably not on the list. And there's some things that you wouldn't expect to be on the list that God puts there. So Proverbs chapter 6, look at verse 16. These six things doth the Lord hate. You say, I thought God was a God of love. Well, of course he is. But God's also a God of hate. What does that mean? If you, for example, if you love your garden, you hate weeds. If you love your family, you hate things that are going to destroy your family. Uh, hate and love are, the same, are, are two separate sides of the same coin. Matter of fact, you cannot love unless there are things that you hate. Our problem is we hate all the wrong things and we love all the wrong things. We need to learn to love what God loves and hate what God hates. For example, we have a saying in my house. The only thing we hate are sin and the devil. We don't hate people. Sometimes the kids will say, oh, I hate that. And it's like, oh, the only thing we hate is sin and the devil. And it's kind of a, a sometimes it's a comical way. Oh, I hate green beans. Nope, the only thing we hate is sin and the devil. And uh, just that constant reminder, look, we don't hate people. There is no person that I hate. Even the people may hate us. We cannot hate them back. The Bible says that we should pray for our enemies and, and love our enemies and wish good for our enemies. And that's high-level Christianity, isn't it? Uh, but this idea of what does God hate? Six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to Him. Now, abomination is the strongest word for hatred in the Bible. So there are certain words that mean hate in varying degrees. But when God says this is an abomination, it's like these are the things I hate more than anything else in the world. And we find here a list of, of seven things that are an abomination to God. Look at number one, verse 17, a proud look. God hates pride. There's a lot of verses we could look at that show you God hates pride. Why does God hate pride? Because pride hurts you. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. When you get involved in pride, when you get lifted up with pride, you're going to hurt yourself and you're going to hurt others. And pride is going to separate you from God. Pride says, I don't need God. I'm just fine on my own. And God hates what hurts us. Look at the second thing God hates, a lying tongue. You know, people lie today without even thinking about it. Boy, if it's convenient, just tell a lie. Lie, lie, lie. If you don't get caught, shame on them. No, God hates a lying tongue. Why? Because God loves the truth. And if you love the truth, you've got to hate a lie. If you love people and you want them to be blessed, then you have to hate the pride that's going to destroy them. Look what it says next, hands that shed innocent blood. These are people that that are violent and murderers, but also just people that are violent against those that are innocent. God says, I don't want you hurting the things I love. God says, I love people. I don't want you hurting them. I don't want, I don't want them to be murdered. I don't, don't want them to be beat up and beat down. So this list is very instructive. We don't have time to look at it tonight, but what I want you to remember is that God hates pride. And let me just warn you, church, there's a lot of people in churches all around America that they not be, they may not be uh, have the 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 uh, the immorality of a Sodom, 
but they're eaten up with the pride of Sodom. Christians ought not be proud. We ought never look down our noses at anybody. Even if somebody's different, if they think different, we ought never look down our nose at anybody. The truth is, they may not have had the opportunities you've had. I've been very blessed to to know Christ and to have someone who taught me the Bible and to be able to study the Bible. And I've been very blessed in, in my life in a lot of ways. We've had our challenges, but don't ever, don't ever look at somebody else and say, oh, I'm better than they are. That's pride and God hates it. But for the grace of God, we'd all be in hell. But for the grace of God and, and his love shown through Jesus Christ, none of us would have a hope of making it to heaven. And so this thing called pride, God hates it. Pride was the original sin of Satan. He wanted to be like God. We won't take time to to turn to it, but in Isaiah chapter 14, uh, you find Lucifer uh, cast out of of heaven. He was a created being. He was an angel, and he got lifted up with pride and said, well, I want to be God. And God said, no, you can't be me. I created you and cast him down, and Lucifer became the devil. That's detailed in in uh, Isaiah chapter 14, uh, and in that chapter we find the five I wills of Satan. But the last thing he said in verse 14, I'll quote, is I will ascend above the, the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan, one day up in heaven, he looked at everything God made and he said, I want to be God. He had pride. He lifted himself up to be like God. And that was the first sin. And the truth is, the purest form of Satanism is not drawing pentagrams on the floor and trying to cast spells and biting the heads off chickens and and all of that. The purest form of Satanism is pride. I want to be God. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. It's my life. I decide what's right and wrong. In that moment, you're never more like Satan than in that moment. That's hard for us to take. But that was the original sin. We find the same thing in Genesis chapter 3 verse 5. Satan promised Eve that if she ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, she would be as God's little g. Let me read it for you. Genesis chapter 3 verse 5. For God doth know on the day ye eat thereof, then shall your eyes be opened, and ye shall be as God's little g, knowing good and evil. See, Satan's promise is always, if you follow me, I'll make you a god. The promise of humanism is there is no God, you're the God. Uh, A lot of of religions out there make you the arbiter of your life. They rubber stamp whatever you want to do. And pride is the ultimate sin. Pride is the first step on the road to Sodom. Humanism today makes the same false promise that Satan told Eve. If you follow this philosophy You'll be as gods. Let me show you a striking verse. Proverbs chapter 11. Look at Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 21. Though hand join in hand, the wicked shall not be unpunished. But the seed of the righteous shall be delivered. See, there's a, there's a lot of people that are going to join hands in that day. And, and even today, they join hands and say, we're going to break the chains of God. We're, 
we're not going to follow God. We're going to band together. Psalms chapter 2 asks the question, why do the heathen rage? The heathen that rage against God and nobody's going to tell me what to do. And it may be everything from I don't believe in you to I don't need you to I don't want you. But there is this idea that well, if, we, if they gather enough people together, they can defeat God. God will never be defeated. All you got to do is turn to the book of Revelation and see that. And it, it, it doesn't even make logical sense. How can the things which were created by the word of the Almighty's mouth somehow band against Him who created them and by His grace they exist and somehow they're going to fight against Him? That's what we find in the last battle in the book of Revelation. He created the worlds with the word of his mouth. And in the last battle of Armageddon, he's going to defeat the armies of Satan and the men who fight against God in the last days. He's going to defeat them with the word of his mouth. But pride makes you think, oh, we got a chance. We can defeat God. God still resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. If you're taking notes, write this verse down. James 4, 6. James 4, 6. Let me quote it for you. But he, God, giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. So God says, I'm still giving out grace. Grace is... The supernatural power of God to do His will. Grace is the unmerited love and favor of God we've never earned. And God said, I'm still given grace, but let me warn you. I still resist the proud. If you come to me in pride, I will fight against you. But if you come to me with humility, I will give you my grace. Let me tell you, dear friend. You don't want to be found on the opposite side of God. Some of us have lived there. Some of us have visited there. It's a losing battle. But it's interesting to note, Sodom did not start out in such a desperate place. They simply started out as a group of people that said, we don't need God. And that's a dangerous place to start. Look at what it says back in Ezekiel chapter 16. You hold your place there, we'll, we'll visit it as we look at these. Ezekiel chapter 16, we find in verse 49, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread. Fullness of bread, I have here written down, abundance. Abundance. Abundance or having a lot being full, having a lot of things, a lot of opportunities can be a blessing and it can be a curse. It's a large blessing every day, folks, that we live in a country where we have enough food, enough water, enough shelter, and thank God for that. If you ever go to another country, you visit another country, it is shocking about how blessed we are. Being able to go to the faucet and turn on water and have clean water come out. Being able to turn another knob and have hot water come out. Going to the fridge or the cupboards and, and having food in them. Driving down the road and you've got more fast food places than you could ever imagine and money in your pocket. 
We got clothes on our back. You open your closet, and some of our closets are kind of under stress, aren't they? They're, they're a little too full. Uh, our houses, people, Americans pay billions of dollars a year for extra storage for things that they don't use, and most of the time they forget what they have in storage. We've got so much stuff, but abundance can be a curse. Look at Proverbs chapter 30. The book of Proverbs chapter 30. Why is abundance a curse? I mean, isn't it just good to have enough and more than enough? Proverbs chapter 30. And look at verse 7. Two things have I required of thee. Deny me them not before I die. Verse 8. Remove far from me vanity and lies. That's a pretty good prayer, isn't it? Vanities, emptiness, lies are the lies. I wonder what lies we are believing that are holding us back, holding us down, hurting us. I wonder what empty things we are chasing we're holding on to. Then notice what he says. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food convenient for me or sufficient enough, but not too much and not too little. Why? Look at verse 9. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and take the name of God in vain. What wisdom. He said, If I don't have enough, I might go out and steal and not be acting like I'm one of your children. But he says, if I have too much, watch this. The curse of having too much is we no longer are aware of our need of God. It's not that we need Him any less. It's that we're not aware of how much we need Him. The Bible talks about, the in Mark chapter 12, verse 37, the common people heard Jesus gladly. But Jesus also talked about how hard it was for rich people to trust Him and come to Him. It wasn't that rich people needed Christ any less. It was their abundance kept them from noticing how much they needed God. We talked this at the talked about this at the men's meeting. Sometimes people will say, "Ah, well, it's you Christians, you need a crutch. God's a crutch. You you might need that to get through. I don't need that." I heard a prominent businessman this week in a an interview I was listening to. The man asked him, he said, "What do you think happens to you when you die?" The man's parents had just died. And the interviewer was a skilled interviewer and and just asking questions to try to draw this guy out and asked a fascinating question. So what do you think happens to you when you die? And the guy's like, oh, well, I've I've never, I was Catholic, went to Catholic church and school when I was young. But he said, he said, "I, I just think that nothing happens when you die. He said, now, some people might need that. He said, some people need to believe in God. Some people need to believe in heaven to to get through this life. But I don't need that. I'm strong enough that I don't need that. And I sit there and thought, oh, dear friend, the truth is you do need him. Everybody needs him. And yes, it's true that sometimes people that are struggling and poor and suffering 
they do trust God more than the rich, but it's not because they're weak and they need Him more. It's because they're finally aware of what they've needed the whole time. I was talking to a rich man one time. He owned $50 million worth of property in this state. $50 million worth. And he sat across me at a restaurant weeping, tears running down his face. And he was so empty. And he said, Pastor, the sad thing is most people will never have enough money to find out it doesn't make you happy. And I thought, wow, I'm probably one of those people. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll never have enough money to figure it out, so I, I better believe what other people say. Most people are chasing after the promise, and if they ever catch up to it, they realize, this is what I was chasing the whole time. There is a God-sized hole in your heart that only Christ can fill. And people try to fill it with abundance. They try to fill it with pleasure. They self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. They, they try to figure out, uh, am I happy? Am I not happy? How do I feel today? All of these things. And none of that is the pathway to happiness. Things don't make you happy. One Christian said, he's a rich Christian, he said, Money won't make you happy, but it'll get you in the neighborhood. And I thank God for rich people. If God blesses you with finances, that's wonderful. I pray He does. God needs people who He can trust with finances. But the truth is, if you won the lottery, it would ruin you. Just do the research of the lottery winners. Most of them, their lives were destroyed after they won the lottery. Abundance is not the answer. The answer is God and the peace and joy and meaning that only He can give. We find these mile markers on the road to Sodom. We saw pride. We see abundance. Next, we see in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, pride, fullness of bread, abundance of idleness, was in her and her daughters. And number three is idleness. The third mile marker on the road to Sodom is idleness. It's, it's laziness. Laziness. People that just decided, I would rather be doing nothing, I would rather be doing what I want to do. And watch this, if you have enough, be careful that you don't get lazy. We've talked about this off and on through the years. Retired people will tell you that just because you retire doesn't mean you should stop working. Because as soon as you stop working, as soon as you get lazy, as soon as you become idle, those people, their health deteriorates. And I'm, I'm talking about work in the garden. Do something meaningful. Work on the house. Help others. Volunteer at the soup kitchen. Work through the church. Help in the community. Do something. But the idea of the goal is that I'm going to get to the place where I don't have to do anything, that is a terrible recipe for life. These people had been blessed with so much that their blessing became a curse And when they had enough, they said, it's no longer do I need to work. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. 
Idleness leads to sinfulness. Think about this. Work keeps you out of trouble. You know, I'm at the age, and I'm so busy, that if I wanted to, I couldn't go out clubbing at night. And let me tell you, I got the moves. I got the dance moves. Let me tell you, I had to give up my second job as a DJ slash uh, rapper to, uh, to fully, give my, <laughs> fully give my heart to the Lord. But uh, listen, the, the goal ought to be that you're, you are so busy doing things that matter, you don't have the, the energy to get in trouble. There's this idea today, these people that, well, we're not going to have kids because, because we don't want to have to work. And folks, having children is one of the most rewarding things you could ever do. And of course, having children is a lot of work. And that might work out good in your 20s and 30s, but ask those that never had children in their 40s and 50s and 60s. And they'll be your teachers to say, They watch all their friends with their children and grandchildren, and they're the ones to say, I bought into the lie. It's God's plan that we work. It's God's plan that we we have a family. It's God's plan that we do meaningful work. Exodus chapter 34 says, Six days shalt thou work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. Through work we gain character. We find meaning. We learn to appreciate what we have. We learned during the pandemic something that we've always known, that when people couldn't work, crime went up. You know why? When people don't work, they don't feel good about themselves. They, they, they don't feel like they're contributing. They, they, don't, they, they don't have that, that sense of accomplishment. But whenever you learn to work hard at things that matter, take care of yourself, your family, your community, you find great joy most people don't appreciate things that come too easy. Proverbs twelve twenty seven: The slothful man roasteth not that which he took in hunting, but the substance of a diligent man is precious. If you give people something, they usually don't appreciate it as much as if they worked hard for it themselves. Sadly, when we become idle, we're too willing to live off the hard work of others without the thought of the cost to the people who are working. And I'll say, lastly, under this point, laziness leads to mental health disorders and crime. I already mentioned that. But it's a well-known fact that, that laziness, idleness leads to crime and leads to, to mental health disorders. We look back at the Athenian culture. Edith Hamilton said of the Athenians, that when the Athenians wanted uh, not to give to the state, but for the state to give to them, when the freedom they wished most was the freedom from responsibility, the Athenians ceased to be free and would never be free again. Did you hear that? There's a lot of people today that their idea of freedom is being free from responsibility. But when you try to get free from responsibility, you lose your freedom. And we've got to be careful of that in America, don't we? And even ourselves. Overwork can be a problem as well. You need to take care of yourself, but you also need to not dive into this idea of idleness is the ultimate goal. We saw pride. We saw abundance. We saw idleness. Let me give you these last two quickly. Selfishness. Selfishness. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 16, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. 
See, in Sodom, they were proud. They didn't need God. Boy, they, were, they had so much. They got lazy. And then they got selfish. Selfishness is when a person has regard to their own interest or happiness without the thought of others. In Sodom, the proud enjoyed their abundance and laziness without the thought to help the poor and needy. Now remember, these same people that didn't care about the poor and needy, they had abundance. They just didn't care about the ones who needed it. And we've got to understand that there are more important things in this life than your personal happiness. I want to say that again because really pushing that hard these days. There are more important things in life than your personal happiness. It seems like nowadays people are taught to always check themselves. Am I happy? Am I, do I feel safe? Do I feel happy? Do I feel safe? Do I feel happy? Is everything okay with me? And then the idea is that if I don't feel safe and happy, you need to change to make me feel safe and happy. Folks, that is... That is not the way society works. The world, it's a good day when we realize the world does not revolve around us. The world doesn't revolve around Paul Chapman. I don't always get what I want, and that's a good thing. Because if you always get what you want, you become spoiled, don't you? And then you always expect to get what you want. We live in crazy days. Selfishness is a guaranteed way to create unhappiness. We won't take time to look at it, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says, In the last days men shall be lovers of, them, their, lovers of their own selves. The Greek word for that phrase is uh, self-love. Phil from phileo, autos meaning self. It has the idea of self-love. It has the idea of self-interest. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Watch this. Men will put themselves first above all else. And that's just a bad idea. We don't always get our way. There's more important things than how we feel. Some believe today that we should change the rules of the English language to cater to the feelings of individuals. Some believe that every citizen should act in such a way as to keep those that might be having a difficult time from feelings of not feeling safe or being triggered. It's a bad idea to expect the world to cater to you. It's a type of personal hell that it, it guarantees you'll never be happy because 8 billion people in the world, can we just be honest, most of them don't care what I want. And most of them don't care what you want. But I have a great big God that cares about me. And if I put Him first, He takes care of me. The Bible says Jesus and others in you, that's the way to spell joy. If you take care of others first, then it's amazing how much better you feel about yourself and your situation. Let me give you this last one. 
quickly. The Bible says the fifth mile marker on the road to Sodom is this word, uh, abomination. In verse 50, they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw good. Look at the book of Leviticus. What is this abomination? We talked about it this morning, but just so again, so I can give you some context here. Leviticus chapter 13. Leviticus, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 20. Leviticus chapter 20, and look at verse 13. If a man also lieth with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have have committed an abomination. And then in the Old Testament, we're not recommending this today, of course, we live in a day of grace, But in the Old Testament, this was the punishment. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. This speaks of sodomy and homosexuality. People, there's a lot of talk today about, is it a sin? Is homosexuality a sin? And some people say, well, the Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say anything about it. The Bible has a lot to say about it. And the Bible says specifically here, if you lie with a man as with a woman, then you've committed an abomination. And the same is true if you lie with a woman as with a man, the the abomination is the same. Now, here's, here's the thought. Sodomy is not one more list in the passage. I believe that it is the culmination of the list. So pride, I don't need God. Abundance, pride plus abundance plus idleness plus selfishness equals abomination. Let me just talk to you, and I'll be careful with the children here. It is not God's plan that you always find pleasure in the ways you want to find pleasure. As a married person, when you get married, you're saying, I will keep myself always to this one man or one woman. And some young people think when you get married, well, there'll be no more temptation. But just because you get married doesn't mean that there's not temptation. You, as a married individual, have to learn to curb your lusts because it's not God's plan that you find pleasure in all the ways that you might seek pleasure. There's a lot of ways. You shouldn't eat too much. You shouldn't be a glutton. Uh, Maybe you find pleasure in hurting people. (laughs) Hopefully you're not a sadist. It's not God's plan that you do that. All types of... the, The body is created to respond to certain stimuli and it's not God's plan that we just just use our bodies as a vessel for for uh, all kinds of unrestrained pleasure matter of fact that's what the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 the Corinthians that Greek people as part of their religion to the Greek gods they had adultery and fornication and immorality when you went to the temple there was a a sensual element to that as part of their worship. And God had to teach these people that the body's not for fornication, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and that's that's a a sexual impurity of all types, but for the Lord. The, The Greeks literally thought that the body was a vessel 
in which to be explored and just a vessel for unrestrained pleasure. And God says, no, that's not why I gave you a body. And we've got to understand today that young or old, regardless of where we are, that's not God's plan to be involved in immorality of any type. Look at Romans chapter 1 as we finish. Romans chapter 1. Some people say, well, that's the Old Testament, and of course the Old Testament, uh, but nothing in the New Testament talks about, about sodomy or, or any of these things. And Let's look at Romans chapter 1, just so we have some biblical context. Romans chapter 1 gives us a, a stairway down. If you want to find the decline of a culture... You'll see each five of these things in Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 24. I'll look at verse 22. Professing themselves... I'll look at verse 21. I'll look at verse 20. Look look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, so they knew who God was, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Do you see the pride there? God, we know who you are, but you're not going to tell us what to do. That's pride. Look at verse 22. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23. Changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds and, and four-footed beasts and creeping things. They worship the, the creation more than the creator. The Bible says in verse 24, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So the natural, the natural end result of rejecting God is some form of immorality. That's where it always leads. Look at verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature, and likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error which was meet. So God here in the Old Testament says that the sodomy is an abomination, and all, by the way, not just that, but all types of, of, of immorality outside of the bounds of marriage is unacceptable. God says in the New Testament, all types of immorality outside of the bounds of marriage is unacceptable. But here explicitly talking about sodomy once again, whether it be men or women. And look at verse 28. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient the idea is that if, if someone gives themselves ultimately to that type of, of life, God and that, that sin cannot cohabitate. And some people are trying to do that and say, well, I'm a Christian, but this is how I want to live. But the Bible is very clear that you've got to choose. You've got to choose one or the other because God's not for that. So you'll either accept uh, sin, sin of all types, and despise God, or you'll have to accept what God says and say, I, no matter how I feel, no matter, no matter what I want to do, I can't e- experience that, those types of things. Uh, and if you 
If you reject God long enough, the Bible says he'll give you a reprobate mind where you won't even care what God wants or thinks. Look at verse 29. It goes on to talk about the, the debasing of culture, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, any type of, of uh, uh, immorality outside of marriage, wickedness, covetousness, wanting things that aren't yours, maliciousness, being mean, full of envy, uh, being upset that other people have things you don't, murder, debate, just being uh, argumentative, deceit, lying, malignity, wanting to hurt people, whispers, always gossiping, backbiters, talking about people behind their back, haters of God. There are people that will tell you, I hate God. Well, I don't believe in God, but I hate God. It's like, you can't have both. You either, he doesn't exist or you hate him, but you can't have both. Look what it says. Despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. See, a lot of these things go back to the foundational things that we should have learned when we were young, and God wants children to obey their parents. Verse 31, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful. And then lastly, this is where it ends up. Sometimes people who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them. The ultimate debasement of a person in society is when they look at God and say, I know what you say. I know what you say is coming to me, but I don't care. And I'm going to enjoy it, all types of sin, and I'm going to teach other people all types of sin. And that ultimately is the road to Sodom. This is how this works. When sin is injected into a culture, follow this thinking. First, sin is prohibited. Then sin is permitted. And then sin is protected. And then sin is promoted. And finally, sin is preferred. And you can look at cultures throughout history and all types of, of sin. I mean, culture-destroying sin that comes in, it always follows the same progression. Prohibited, permitted, protected, promoted, preferred, until it doesn't exist anymore. Let's wrap this up. The nation of Israel was in a terrible state in captivity. God comes to them and says, you're worse than Samaria. You're worse than Sodom. And he said, this is why Sodom got to be so bad, these five things. But God also said, I'm not done with you yet. And if you turn to me, I will restore you and bless you in ways you can't imagine. Let me just encourage you tonight. Wherever you are in life, no matter where you are, the Bible says in James chapter 4, if you draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh unto you. I told a man this morning in my office, he said, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm away from God. And I know I need to get back to God. And I said, what you'll find is when you turn back to turn back to God, you'll find He was there the whole time. When you draw nigh unto God, 
He draws nigh unto you. He's already there. You say, well, I feel far away from God. Then just turn around. Seek Him. And you'll find that He's been there the whole time. And He has love and blessing and incredible gifts awaiting us. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for our communities. We need to pray for ourselves. Listen, pride, abundance, idleness, selfishness, abomination. We need to protect ourselves, our church, our community, our family from these things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to once again go to your word. These would not be the five things that would be on my list of things that would destroy a city or a culture. But they're the things that are on yours. And I thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth. You are truly the King of kings and Lord of lords. I remember so many times in my own personal life when I was confronted with the truth and I had to make some tough choices. And everybody in here that's ever drawn close to you, we've had to have those same difficult decisions with you. And I just pray wherever we are, whatever we're going through, that we would turn to you. And as we see the chaos in our nation, we can see these things in our own nation, the pride of our nation, the abundance that led to idleness, that led to selfishness, that leads to all types of abomination. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to preach Christ to the masses so that they can know the freedom and joy.